Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the QuietMark podcast. I'm your host, Simon Gosling, CMO at QuietMark. And QuietMark is the independent global certification program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. Through scientific testing and assessment, QuietMark identifies the quietest products in multiple categories spanning many sectors, including home appliances and technology, building sector materials, and commercial sector products. In this episode, we look at the subject of noise in construction, along with solutions that not only protect the construction workers, but also reduce noise and make life more pleasant and less stressful for the local residents in the area where building is taking place. Last June, Future Construction Architects magazine, that's FCNA magazine, approached QuietMark to write a piece on reducing noise pollution and improving acoustics in the built environment. FCNA had noted that noise is one of the most commonly found contaminants in the construction sector. Construction sites produce extensive amounts of noise pollution, the effects of which are experienced immediately. So when their editor from cross-platform media, Rebecca Kemp, kindly approached us to write that feature, I immediately knew who I was going to bring on board to add some expert comments. Former podcast guests Mike Jacob from Kiss House, Ethan Bordeaux from the International Well Building Institute, and Jack from Hilson Moran all contributed to the piece. And the fourth person to help complete that puzzle was Peter Wilson, one of the founders of Echo Barrier, whose products are QuietMark certified and can be found on quietmark.com and in our Acoustics Academy. So let me start by reading the first couple of paragraphs from that feature that we wrote for FCNA, and then I'll introduce you to our guest, Peter Wilson from Echo Barrier. In the UK, in 2019, noise breaches on construction sites were reported to be up 25%. With the sector now preparing to build, 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 the situation will worsen without action. Many construction activities are intensely noisy, resulting from both the equipment and the materials used. In the USA, 51% of construction workers have been exposed to hazardous noise and 14% have permanent hearing damage. Clearly, the effect on workers' health and well-being is profound. The negative effects are not restricted to the construction site, with noise pollution creating a problem for surrounding areas. Local residents often report varying levels of stress, sleep disturbance and high blood pressure. Noise pollution can also disturb the natural cycles of animals and reduce the size of their habitat. Looking at Peter's LinkedIn, it says, I've developed a host of innovative engineering noise and vibration control techniques, including award-winning aerodynamic fan noise control technology, in brackets, silencing without silencers with improved efficiency, and increasing in use across the world, running projects remotely via the internet plus award-winning temporary acoustic barriers, unique dynamic vibration absorbers, novel quiet pneumatic nozzles, designing novel analysis and production testing systems, vehicle crash barriers, etc. I'm well known as an information and entertaining speaker at conferences worldwide, possibly a spin-off from doing stand-up comedy as a hobby. I also developed both the IOSH and BOHS competency courses in noise and hand-arm vibration and INVC representative of the BSI Committee for Human Exposure to Vibration. In addition, I've also been involved in mental health campaigns in school and on TV. Specialities include anything to do with noise and vibration, control engineering, analysis and diagnosis, plus training, course development, presentation and technical literature and humour, of course. So welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you, Simon. 
who writes this stuff? I don't know. I could hardly read it. Nevertheless, <laughs> it reads very well. Um, of course, you and I know each other from Echo Barrier, which I mentioned in the introduction mm-hmm. there, because Echo Barrier's products are Quiet Mark certified. And we recently got together to put together a feature for Future Constructor and Architect magazine. They asked us to write a thought-leading piece on the uh, current state of noise pollution in construction and the well-being benefits of acoustics. And you very kindly contributed to that feature with some amazing words on construction and Echo Barrier's part in that. Um, But we should start from the beginning. Introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, Peter, how would you sum yourself up if it wasn't me reading it badly? Uh, Five foot ten and 80 kilos. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, I'm an engineer through and through. My dad was an engineer as well, and my one of my sons an engineer. So um, that that runs in the blood, if you like. Did sort of a fascination with all things mechanical and building stuff is that always been in the veins? Probably. Um, my dad was in the army, and uh, we posted in Germany. So when I was about six, we had Lego, which was oh. well before the UK, and uh, and I found by age seven or eight. A bit limiting because all you could build was houses and things. So I started drilling holes in Lego bricks and putting axles in and things like that to to make vehicles and, and all sorts of things to play with more actively. So I suppose in that sort of very early days was sort of uh, perhaps a hint. And of course, engineering became what you went on to do a degree in. Yeah, I did a mechanical engineering degree followed by uh, an MSc in acoustics and vibration at the Institute of Science and Vibration Research at Southampton, probably the leading place in Europe. Part of that was I was doing a thick sandwich course working in Ministry of Defence. Okay. It was very interesting working in the army workshops, repairing tanks, watching someone um, slide a tank into a wall whilst testing it on ice. Demolishing <laughs> a building was quite entertaining. Oh, my goodness. Um, but I, I, I learned all the hands-on skills, including ancient art of blacksmithing. So I really enjoyed all that, actually. They gave me a very practical bent, if you like, as far as engineering is concerned. And from university? Well, I resigned from the MOD because I didn't like the way they were handling things. Okay. They didn't like innovation. No? Okay. I worked out a way to cut the time taken to check um, crankshafts, the cracks. Instead of spending half an hour on a crankshaft, I could do it in 10 seconds. Wow. But that, that was non-standard, so they didn't like that. So I decided I had to leave. So... I sponsored myself doing MSC by fixing people's cars. Right. And then that led to a, uh, your own role away from military and in enterprise. Well, sort of, yes. I had um, a season ticket at the local scrapyards. <laughs> really? So what, like these people on Scrapyard Challenge, they go down there and they make sort something of, amazing. Yes. Are you, yes, would you be a good contestant on that show? I think you would. I, know, I knew how to get a mini through an MOT like no one else. And, uh, of course... Mini, the engine famously designed by Izigonis. Izigonis House is now where, well, in Acton, that's where a Tesco's exists. And I do my local shopping around there myself. But I think it's on the place where you once were employed. Well, yeah, I, I got a job at Lucas Industries in the internal noise and vibration consultancy for the whole of Lucas Group, which is wristwires and cables, girling. So, I yes, I got a very good grounding in practical consultancy work solving problems, anything from diesel engines up to doing environmental noise um, assessments around sites to work out why people were complaining. 
You talked then just about um, noise and vibration consultancy. Something that has sort of cropped up a few times on the Quiet Mark podcast is how sound often plays second fiddle to visuals, whether it's in the design of a product or the design of a building. But you are employed doing noise and vibration consultancy, so you're clearly pushing sound up the agenda. Are you given even priority at the table when it comes to design and building? I, I would love to push noise and vibration up the agenda. It's usually, let's design something. And then when it's designed, we'll decide, oh, it's noisy. Uh, okay, um, we'll put an enclosure around it or, or people have to wear hearing protection. Um, I'm involved in hand-on vibration as well. And one of the interesting things about that is because there is no PPE for hand-on vibration. Let's rewind. What's hand-on vibration, please, Peter, for the uninitiated? People use vibrating tools like breakers and um, angle grinders and, and the like. Okay. That damages your that if it's high enough level for long enough, it damages your hands. It actually um, is a very debilitating condition. You know, I met somebody who couldn't even wipe their own bottom. Mm-hmm. They had to get their wife to do it because their hands were so damaged. So you get to those that sort of state. Um, you don't want that to happen. No. Um, there is no PPE. Period. So over the last ten or fifteen years since regulations came in. Some of the manufacturers produce much lower vibration kit. They've designed it in. Unfortunately for noise, none of that has happened because as far as, as, far as people are concerned, there's PPE. Right. So, and, they, and, and as far as nuisance is concerned, well, that's even lower priority. So it, it's, it's one of those things. It is very much um, how often have I looked at a product or, or a, an installation and gone, if they designed it slightly different, this would be easy. And cheap. Right. So there wouldn't be a problem. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. With regard to monitoring um, sound and vibration on building sites, of course, we spoke about um, Echo Barrier earlier, which provides a solution where you can contain sound with portable yeah. barriers. Tell us about the beginnings of that and your work on building sites and helping to reduce or protect people from noise. Well, originally it was um, a project where we needed some acoustic barriers. So night, nighttime road, uh, sorry, nighttime rail uh, maintenance. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing rail maintenance at a station uh, in a wealthy area, mm-hmm. populated by solicitors, mm-hmm. they're very, very good at complaining. And the local authority said, thou shalt not go into the station. You need to go one up, the, one stop up the line and bring all the kit back on the, on the track, which would have meant, would have cost hundreds of thousands of pounds more. So we convinced the council that we we're going to use all sorts of new techniques and train the people. And one of the things we need to do is barriers. And I couldn't, we couldn't find any, not that it was suitable. We did find some that we used, but mm-hmm. you imagine at one o'clock in the morning, doing battle with a water-soaked, massively heavy duvet. That's what it was like. And they didn't even work very well. So I thought, hmm, there isn't anything. So I'll design something. So with a colleague, um, uh, Andy Murphy, um, who's the MD of Echo Barrier, we set up Echo Barrier and spent months designing the product. And you think that sounds a bit mad because it's a very simple idea. Mm-hmm. But that, I think that's probably partly the engineering background in that it has to work on site with no instructions. You know, 
my engineering training with the Ministry of Defence. And um, there's a saying there, you have to make everything squally proof, which is um, basically if you have 20 squaddies right. going to be using your piece of kit or whatever you tell them to do, one of them will find a way of screwing it up in a way you couldn't possibly imagine. <laughs> and they're not exactly gentle with their stuff either. So <laughs> that's the sort of thing. Uh, so part of the development work, a large chunk of development, was making prototypes, giving them to people on sites and saying, come on then, hang on a fence, hang on a scaffolding and see what happened. And you very quickly come to narrow your focus very, very quickly down to um, what's really important. Okay. One of the things with weight, right? And this this is one of those real points of tension um, because acousticians tend to be obsessed with the weight of uh, barriers, acoustic barriers. There's a British standard BS five two two eight which says barriers should be seven point five kilos per square meter. Right. Well, the only way that makes sense is if the barrier is absolutely massive, meters high and the noise source is right up against it. That's the only way it's going to make any difference. Mm -hmm. It's that old thing, location, location, location. 98% of all noise goes over the top. Right. So you don't need a heavy barrier. And I did a load of calculations and a lot of scenarios, a lot of kits, um, and worked out what's the minimum weight, which covers 98% of all applications, right. and designed to that weight. Okay. So what it means is the barrier is incredibly light. And what that means is location, location, location bit, you can move the barrier with the noise source, which means you get an order of magnitude more attenuation of the noise going offside. So, I mean, that's just as one of the examples. They also look fabulous. Um, you know, you're almost a Jean-Paul Jean -Paul Gaultier of uh, echo barriers here, Peter. I've well, seen them. They're, they're gorgeous. I, I, I'm biased, obviously. Um, <laughs> they should... <laughs> They should be in the Tate Gallery, not on the building. Because <laughs> um, one of the other things, uh, weight was one thing. So, you know, the, pra the pragmatic practicalities, hanging them up so you can move them around quickly and easily, keeping the weight down to absolute minimum so you don't get a mechanical handling problem. Yeah. And then you've also got, um, I remember doing the duvets on the first project, when, and they were full of mineral wool or fiberglass, which means you walk away with scratchy hands and arms and, you know, and so on. So... You have to make it out of materials that when they get damaged, you're not going to get do anyone any harm in right. health and safety and uh, and also, you know, no mechanical handling problems. And the other thing was water. So making it completely waterproof, and the other reason for that was performance, because yeah. if you have conventional acoustic absorbent, when it when it's waterlogged, it doesn't work. So you lose a lot of performance. And it also weight in the barrier means it weighs a ton. So I had to design try and come up with a design which is a, our own um, composite which is completely waterproof but absorbs sound extremely well. Mm, mm. Also very, very thin because yeah. that means you can roll them up. Because the other thing was you try and lift two-meter square panel mm -hmm. and carry more than one. Yeah. It's like the size of a snooker table, right? I mean, how yeah. do, you, how do yeah. you lift that? Exactly. So, yeah, try and make it waterproof so you, and also thin so you can roll it up. Okay. So, so uh, one person can carry three or even a push four of these things and you can pass them up ladders. It's all trying to make it so easy for the person on site, so there's no excuse not to use it. They have a kind of oh, shimmering uh, plastic look to them. Well, the rear side, part of making them, to make it rugged, we have a, a, a strong mesh on one side, but the membrane behind it, we mm -hmm. chose the colour 
So you get this shimmer effect. So from one angle, it looks green. From another angle, it looks orange or yellow, depending on the type of barrier. I did some, a lot of research in the early stages looking at this um, from many you know, decades of past experience. What you're trying to do is, is reducing noise going off site is, if you like, the practical part of it. But what you're actually trying to do is reduce the impact on people off site. So you're trying to reduce the subjective irritation and nuisance value of the noise. And you're also trying to, which reduces stress. So a proportion of the people who die of heart attacks is due to environmental noise. I think the EU's research shows one or two percent of all people who die of heart attacks is caused by environmental noise. That's a lot of people. Yeah. It's very, very stressful. So you're trying to reduce the stress and reducing the noise is part of it, but also, um, the way things look. So when we were designing the barrows, we tried to find someone to manufacture it who could make it look the part, make it look expensive, to make it look sexy, if you like. Yeah. Um, so that you get this placebo effect. Because if someone is looking at a noisy site and you've got noise barriers up, it reduces your stress if you think they spent a lot of time and money trying to reduce the noise. Right because you think they're doing their best. So what it does, approximately, the look of the echo barriers is worth an extra 5 dB of objective noise reduction, roughly. That's interesting. It's purely placebo effect. That's interesting because I was reading um, noise is the biggest cause of complaint in any council in the UK. And in fact, the most complained council is Kensington and Chelsea, where it's 84 complaints for every 1,000 people that live there. And the biggest causes of complaint were uh, basements being built. And it was also to do with the noise of supercars driving around the neighbourhoods of Chelsea and Kensington. Interestingly, things that people don't have control of. They'll be they'll fine with things that are normal and there and they know they can't do anything about. But when things come in that irritate, like suddenly someone's car or, or a basement being built, that's what really upsets people. And so are you saying that if um, echo barriers are used, say, on someone's basement in Kensington and Chelsea, if they're visible in that neighbourhood, that might actually reduce the number of complaints that the council receives? Absolutely. The other thing you've missed out is the fact that Kensington yeah. and Chelsea are wealthy people, and wealthy people with expensive flats and houses and apartments expect better conditions than someone living in a block of council flats. So they're more likely to complain and more likely to have the resources to complain as well. But you know, everyone is affected by the environmental noise. And it is down to what your opinion is. For example, if you have a noisy factory at the bottom of your garden, but you work in that factory, you're not going to be nearly as disturbed by the noise as if you don't work in that factory. Same noise level, not so disturbed. And this is part of the problem, is that everyone focuses on just the simple things, the overall noise level. But that may not be what's annoying somebody. And getting back to the placebo effect, Mm give an example um, using echo barriers um, in West London they're replacing a tube line bridge and uh, quite clever um, I was quite impressed I went and had a look at what they were doing basically they bought in a pre-constructed bridge on a low loader and offloaded into a nearby street so you've got half the street has got this enormous crane um, lowering this this bridge onto it and then they have to dress it. They have to weld things on. They have to, which is quite some quite noisy operations, grinding and, and all the rest of it. And what they did over a weekend was they demolished the bridge and then craned this one into place. So it meant the railway was shut for a minimum amount of time. Right. But while they were spending two or three weeks dressing and, and 
assembling the bridge, if you like, on this street nearby, everyone's exposed to noise. So they had echo barriers all the way down the side of the street to screen the site. Now, if you're walking along next to it, you get screening. But I was doing a noise assessment at two o'clock in the morning, and this little old lady, I don't know what she was doing out at two o'clock in the morning, probably couldn't sleep. And she sees me with a sound level meter and obviously, as happens, always wonders what you're doing. Yeah. Shall I call the police? There's this weird guy, <laughs> this thing. And she says, so I said, where do you live? And she said, oh, I live two doors down in the top, on the top floor, which is looking directly down on the site. Okay. I said, how do you find it? And she goes, well, it's noisy, but at least they've got these barriers here, ah. which make it quieter. It doesn't because she's looking down on the site. So she's effectively got a bird's eye view where there's no protection from the noise. Exactly. So zero effect from the barriers. But psychologically, someone has tried and she believes they are doing good. familiar with the uh, the terminology you know Boris saying build 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 construction for housing um, but of course since the pandemic I mean it was happening before the pandemic but it accelerated by the pandemic I cycle all over London as you know and I'm just seeing more and more and more empty shops for rent we've just painted windows bill stickers will be prosecuted and it used to be the small shops but of course now it's the Debenhams it's the top shops in you know and not just that, but also I'm reading reports. There was a report I read that Pressemanger had set up a massive head office in Victoria only to be vacating it because people were working from home uh, and they're going to continue with that trend. And Deloitte recently said that 32% of British workers post-pandemic are going to continue working from home. With all these empty shops and empty office spaces, could build, 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 become renovate, renovate, renovate in terms of housing? And could that reduce noise? Or I think there's going to be a combination of renovation and demolition and rebuild. It's going, there's going to be a um, sort of combination of that. So um, it depends on how many people are going to be affected by it, because in some parts of London, for example, um, there, no one lives there. So when you start renovating or knocking things down, it doesn't really affect many people. Um, sort of uh, domestically mm. if there is there then it will affect them and that's one of the uh, problems it's not just domestic people living at home if you like but also people working in offices being distracted by noise mm. i can foresee there's there's quite a a lot of buildings that could be repurposed and perhaps should be When we spoke in our preparation call, Peter, you talked about a regulation. 4142. Um, yes, uh, this is part of the bee in my bonnet about how bad the industry is. Um, because most of the, most noise reports, the most by far the most common is a BS4142 report. And what that basically means is it's really designed, if you have industrial premises, for example, and you're putting in new plants or extending it, you do a 4142 assessment to predict whether what you're going to do is likely to cause complaints. And so if you're changing the acoustic environment, 
in the surrounding area, is it likely to cause complaints? Is it going to be loud enough? Is it going to have certain characteristics that cause complaints? So it's a predictive standard. Right. And it says, okay, you, you are well above the level at which complaints are likely. Unfortunately, it's misused all the time. Um, a few years ago, there's a case in London uh, with it was uh, a video processing company who had loads and loads of air conditioning plant because they've got lots and lots of computers and so on. And the EHO dealing with it said we're going to have to issue an abatement notice probably down the line because it's we, we've had dozens and dozens of complaints pretty well every day. But I've been on one of your courses and the company. Uh, have told us that they are thinking of employing consultants to do a BS4 and 4.2 assessment. So I said, well, that's a complete waste of time because that will tell you you're likely to get complaints. Now, you already know that. So what you really need to do is to work out what is the specific cause of the complaints and work out how best to fix that. Um, the company went ahead and spent many thousands of pounds on a 4 and 4.2 assessment, which showed that there were likely to be complaints. <laughs> No further forward. They just wasted three months and several thousand pounds. Wow. One of my colleagues went along and did all the measurements and said, look, um, it's a low frequency hum. This is how you fix it. You don't have to move all the air conditioning plant at a cost of 200,000 pounds. You can spend 15 grand on these measures and that will get rid of the problem, which it did. Goodness. But the thing that bugs me about all this, yeah. one of the things, is that it delays the resolution. You have residents, you have people complaining about sites. I would say that most projects, I mean, we have a false idea of this because we get drawn into things after they've been dragged on a long time, quite often, and the difficult ones. If you yeah. Like. Yeah. Most of the projects we look at, it's one to two years. It's been around for one to two years. If you imagine you're a complainant, you've complained about the noise, and two years later, it's still happening. That's a lot, people the loss of sleep, the loss of focus yes, on stress work, and all that. And, unbelievable. And one of the reasons is because most noise consultants specialize in measurement and they produce reports that don't provide best practice noise control okay. recommendations, which means that a company, for example, it may be suggested they spend, well, as a case couple of years ago, um, cardboard making company. Mm -hmm. The consultant suggested they turn the factory into an enclosure, which cost about £125,000 with no guarantee it would work. My colleague went in and said, okay, it's this machine. These are the noise control recommendations. Not only does it solve the environmental noise problems for a cost of 15 grand rather than 20, 125 grand, but also you don't have to wear hearing protection anymore. Wow. So you get that for free. It's this lack of knowledge. And also if you, if a consultant says it's going to cost you a massive amount of money and a lot of disruption to fix the problem, you're going to try and delay it. If you're a company, you don't want to spend the money. And in other cases, it's quite a regular thing that eventually, for example, someone will call me up and go, look, the EHL will call me up and say, look, what do you think? Now, the company's dragging their feet um, because it's going to cost them so much money. I look at it and go, well, no, it's not. It's completely wrong. You don't have to build a wall or put in closure. You just need to do this tweak on the fan. Mm -hmm. It's going to cost you four grand, not 45 grand. And as soon as they hear that, they go, okay, we'll solve it then. But the problem is it drags on and on and on and on. And right. poor old complainants, it's, it's iniquitous.
we spoke about things looking attractive and performing well. You designed and created a road barrier. I think it's in East London, which looks like something out of the future. It looks like it's made from carbon fiber. It's twisted. It's a really attractive structure, but it also is prov- providing a solution. I would have loved to have designed it. Ah, the, okay. The, the artistic creation was not mine. All right. Um, this this was a project to improve the environment along the A12 in East London, and um, uh, lots of agencies were involved, including architects. And I was brought in as the acoustic specialist for Echo Barrier. You know, we want we want to look at putting up a traffic barrier to reduce the noise to show what can be done as a model, if you like, to show how much improvement you can get. Um, but because of the nature of the project is sort of, um, uh, if you like, a, a prototype they wanted to make it impressive so they say okay okay please say look you're echo barrier is a specialist barrier company um what can we do so i i, I was looking they say well there's a new material that we use which is very very finely perforated aluminium instead of mineral mineral wool or fiberglass and you get the performance just by the shape of it over a cavity behind it. So you can have you can form this metal into any shape you like, as long as you have a sealed cavity behind it. So and this will give you very good performance. And I did a few measurements and things up and down the road, and we, we looked at sites and all the rest of it, and did frequency analysis and so on. And they kept they came back to me and said, What about this? What about that? What about that? So I said, it doesn't matter. As long as you keep within, and again, the parameters, keep within these parameters, you can have any design you like. And I think they did a really good job of, it's expensive. You know, if it's an industrial version, you would have it all looking exactly the same, flat. Right. Any performance, but would be much cheaper to build. Mm. But then you haven't got the, you know, you've seen it. Yeah. What do you think? It's a sculpture. You know, yeah. we all love art and it's a thing of beauty, yeah. So, so having a sculpture that actually is in a very, very effective acoustic barrier is great because it also, again, it, it plays on this subjective placebo psychological effect. Yeah. Is if you had a really simple standard barrier, which is just flat screen with perforated metal on it, um, you'd get the same noise level, but it wouldn't feel as nice. It wouldn't feel as quiet and, and as good a space to be in no because it's you, you're combining the visual with the acoustic yeah again, again which is one of my missions because it does make a difference to people's perception and that's ultimately what we're trying to do i'd love to know more about the stand-up comedy career but also to understand maybe how it helps you in in the day job the the acoustics job well yeah, I mean, I've run present done presentations around training courses for a very, very long time. But but doing stand up really honed this thing. You have to spend, you have to think very carefully about the first thirty seconds to a minute. If you don't get the the, if you don't conquer the room or get the room on your side in that first bit, it's a very hard uphill struggle. Mm-hmm. And if you talk, you know. People don't go, ah, oh, I'm going to listen to someone talking about noise. This is going to be fascinating. <laughs> they go, oh, I've been told by work to go and find out more about it because we've got a problem. Um, so it's it's conventionally sort of fairly dry topic. But I like to do a lot of case studies and examples and and so on. And 
one of the things that always amazed me down the years is I get asked to do a presentation on noise. And the, one of the first questions I ask is what sort of sound system you've got for playing back video and sound samples. Quite often they haven't. No. And I'm going, okay, you want me to talk about noise and there's no way of me playing back sounds to demonstrate things. And it's improved a lot because of new technology and so on, but it's, that's been a perennial problem. But doing stand-up really honed it. So, you know, doing a conference or something, I always try and pick up something that's there today, not something pre-prepared. So there'll be some pre-prepared bits, but something that's now, mm. because you get the audience on your side. And the other thing is that stand-ups help me with is is um, just that first 30 seconds to a minute of the way you appear on stage. I like to walk around. If someone appears on stage looking nervous, you immediately feel uncomfortable for them, which means you are less comfortable listening to this and you're not going to be as responsive. Yeah. If the person seems to be relaxed um, and um, that's the main thing, really. If the person's relaxed and slightly entertaining and seems to know what they're doing straight up front, you can almost visually see the audience sit back and go, come in safe hands. This isn't going to be embarrassing. I mean, we've also, I don't know what you, I don't know how many conferences you've sat through, but because I go to noise conferences, um, the number of presentations I've sat through, which is like, oh my God, I've lost the will to live. He's just reading the slides and, or she's just reading the slides and why her colleague chose her to do the presentation when she obviously hates it. You know, it's if you're trying to educate people or put points across, it's very important to get these some of these things right. Oh, yeah. it's, it's theatre. It's theatre. Yeah, no, it's true. It's it's funny you talking about that because we're all very familiar with something like the Graham Norton show, and he's a great person who knows how to mix comedy. He yeah. said actually in an interview the other day, he's I was listening to him on a podcast, uh, Elizabeth Day's How to Fail, and he was saying that when he first started out. He tried to be the funny guy in his questions. And he said, if you're getting more laughs as the interviewer than the guest, that's not a good thing. He reckoned, <laughs> And he, he had to sort of learn that. Peter, I've heard the terms environmental noise and occupational noise when it comes to construction. How would you define the two and what's the difference? Well, there are several ways of looking at this. And occupational noise is the risk of hearing damage. And that is solely related to the overall noise that goes into the ear per day. It's the amount of noise energy that enters your ears. Um, and on sites, it's quite a simple measurement because all you're doing is saying how much noise is this person being exposed to, period. That's it. And you issue issue hearing protection, which normally doesn't really work very well most time. It doesn't work nearly as well as people think it does, which is why we have a, a tsunami of hearing damage claims over the past few years. It just proves it doesn't really work. So there's that element of it. Um, and a lot of construction and demolition infrastructure machines are very, very noisy. So it doesn't take long to get a high enough noise dose to cause damage. So that's the people working on the site. And then you have the other half, which is the noise that travels off-site to people who aren't engaged in that site activities. Right. So then you've got an, a number of things that affect the impact it's going to have on people. Um, one of the things is the total noise level. 
but compared with the background. So 60 dBA could be very, very annoying in the countryside. But if your office is near the M40, the background noise is over 60, so you don't even notice it. Right. So it's not about absolute levels necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's about comparative levels with what the existing background is. Um, on top of that, you have character in the noise, like hum, tones, like impulsivity. So the construction industry is very, very good at making annoying noises. It's, it's almost as though the plant was designed to make, to irritate people. You have, for example, breakers, which are pecking the grout, which is impulsive sound, very annoying. Or impact drivers, so you're putting in a pile, you know, banging in a pile, very high peak noise levels. So that's very, very annoying. Uh, you also have things like gensets. And one of the classic things about gensets is you can have two, gens two generators right. producing exactly the same overall noise level. Mm -hmm. One's extremely annoying and causes loads of complaints, and the other doesn't. Because on the one that causes the complaints, the engine exhaust is badly silenced. You get a low-frequency hum, which doesn't contribute to the overall noise level because of the way it's measured. We measure the overall noise level in what's called DBA, which filters out the low frequencies because they're not so damaging, but they are very irritating. So you're filtering out part of the noise that's going to annoy people. So when you do a simple measurement without doing a frequency analysis, you can't tell that the generator from the data is going to be more annoying than another one. So one of the things we suggest to people hiring generators is don't just go for the ultra-quiet one. Make sure you know if it's got a hum associated with it. I'm glad to hear you saying that. One of the things we do at QuietMark when we assess products, you can have two food mixers at the same decibel level, but one has an annoying tone to it and the other one has a pleasant tone to it. And yeah. if it's annoying, it's not going to get the QuietMark certification. We look at tonalities and frequencies as well as okay. decibels. Impression. Yes. Yeah. And so I've talked about the, you know, the off-site noises, the overall level and the character sound temporally and frequency uh, content and so on. But also there is the overall... Uh, non-noise factors, which we talked about. Like, you're annoyed by the cars outside because <laughs> it's a podcast. Yeah. And you want low background noise, whereas normally you wouldn't be annoyed by Not cars so. outside. Yeah. Much. So, uh, you don't live in Kensington and Chelsea, so obviously you're less annoyed anyway because <laughs> you're a troll. Um, so you get, you get this, there's all these other factors as well. You know, if you're going to use the station, if you use the station where rail, where rail maintenance is going on in the middle of the night, you'll put up a lot more than if you don't, because you know. There's also subjective factors. There's a very interesting study done years ago that people who um, are afraid of flying are more disturbed by aircraft noise than people who like flying. That's interesting. Very surprising. Um, people who wear anoraks are never disturbed by train noise. Interesting. <laughs> for example. So there's lo loads of other factors as well, which sometimes you've got some control over, like the look, yep. or the way you talk to people. Um, we also suggest that if people have got a particular sort of very noisy environment, they go and talk to people most effective and make sure they've got a phone number so they can call up and vent, which means they're less likely to complain.
you said earlier, Peter, that you're seeing a tsunami of complaints of the people who are working on site, the amount of noise they're exposed to. We're very familiar we're in all sorts of industries where you progress 20 years and you look back and you go, my goodness, how did they make people work under those conditions? Yeah. What are we going to be saying in 20 years' time from now in terms of the noise that's being generated and how people were exposed to it? Well, nothing's changed in the last 20 years. Ah. I'm still seeing the same mistakes, the same idiocy, the same lack of knowledge and understanding now that I saw 20 or 30 years ago. You know, people assuming hearing protection works much better than it does. And one of the consequences of that is that people are still going deaf. We're all familiar with the guy on the landing strip at the, with the aeroplanes wearing the headphones yeah. or the guy holding the pneumatic drill doing the same. Um, I'm no expert, but I do have noise-cancelling headphones where there's a technology within them which helps block out external sound. Do those headphones that they're wearing on site also have noise-cancelling technology in them, or are they just a pair of earmuffs? You can get noise-cancelling headsets, PPE, sites. You can also get PPE with built-in um, communications, you know, microphones, um, which allow external noise in above below a certain level but stop the, the, the high-level noise and so on and so forth. But they're more expensive, and that's one of the issues. Is uh, One of the problems with occupational noise is the purchasing department hasn't been told that they have to get these good quality headsets. They look on the market and they go, well, these are cheaper, we'll buy those. So you get sort of things like that happening. So, yeah, there are sophisticated headsets around. There's some new technology around which gives you headsets with Bluetooth in so you know when they've been taken off and you know where they are and you know what the noise level is. So there's a whole revolution gradually going on now um, with these new types of headsets which help. Uh, and I mean, as far as the noise on-site and off-site is concerned, um, one of the things about Echo Barrier was trying to make the barriers ease, so easy to use that people will use them. Yeah, It's a hassle. It doesn't take much hassle to stop people doing it because unless you have incredibly good management, the job still gets done. It's just mm. that you're annoying the neighbours and people are going deaf. Mm. Mm. But that's someone else's problem in five years' time. Yeah. Or it could be it could be the problem the council comes around in a week's time, but it's not now. Right. It's sometime in the future. We need to get this job done now because we're in a hurry. So, you know, you're trying to make life as easy as possible for people on the sites. I've been to sites where they, incidentally, an unusual use for echo barriers is they make very, very good um, foam mattresses, memory foam mattresses, three or four of those, and you can sleep on that. It's really comfortable and warm. Sounds like the princess, princess and the pea. On a cold night in a hut, yes. <laughs> it seems to me, Peter, that what... You started with Echo Barrier, which was a solution to a problem to help reduce noise. But from the conversation that we've enjoyed this afternoon, it seems like there's also a mission to protect workers. It, is that really part of your sort of vocation in doing this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I've been doing this for a very long time, and I just, it just drives me up the wall the fact that the same, nothing much has changed. You know, there are advances in technology and so on, but noise is, is, is just left. Um, the, same, uh, the same approach is still being used to, to reduce occupational noise that didn't work 20 years ago and it's not working now. Mm. You know, if you, cut, if you can do a simple measure that cuts the noise by three decibels, you've halved the risk. Wow. The trouble is, people look at it, it's, it's 100, and we've knocked it down to 97. We still have to wear hearing protection, but you've halved the risk. 
people don't understand that. Right. And the, the it's almost there is a like a mirror image of this is 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 environmental noise, the yeah. irritation, the stress, the damage to people's mental and physical health caused by that stress. It's a similar thing. People don't consider the factors that are causing the stress. They just look at the overall noise generally. Yeah. Which which is they've done that for twenty or thirty years. You don't you can some of the things we do, you can do it for free on a smartphone. There's, there's no barrier to it. Right. You can say, is there a hum? I don't know. Listen. Uh, but I'm not skilled in listening for hums. Okay. Smartphone app, is there a hum? Yes, no. It's easy. Right. It's free. So but people don't think that way. So if you're looking at disturbance of people causing these environmental noise problems that cause so much stress and damage, people don't look at it in the right way. So therefore, they don't tackle it in the right way. Quite often, just measuring the overall level, which is just in in a number of cases, quite a, a substantial portion of cases, is one measurement, but it's not necessarily the best measurement for a particular circumstances to work out why people are being annoyed. You know, as an engineer, when I see a company who've been told to put an enclosure around a fan and put a small silencer on it and put an enormous wall in front of it, costing 50 grand, and all the noise is coming out of the top of the stack that's 20 meters high, you just go, this is bad. this is wrong. Yeah. The consultant report is what they recommended. It costs the company money, a lot of unnecessary money, and they still haven't solved the problem. Mm. And the residents have got another year of exposure to an unnecessary noise. It is just ridiculous. And it drives, you know, I've just had enough, I suppose. I'm just, maybe I've just stopped being polite, or maybe I'm just getting old and curmudgeonly. I don't know. Um, but, so, or, or all of the above. The thing is, it's so easily fixed. I think I've just lost patience, really. Oh, no, I urge you. I think we all urge you. For the sake of pe- workers hearing and people living in neighbourhoods, we urge you, Peter. You've got the you've got the solutions and they're cost-saving. You talk about £400 million worth of insurance claims for hearing. Something's got to be done. You're the man for it. I'm going to... It's not for me to urge you to do it, but it seems like someone's got to do it and you seem like the perfect guy. Well, hopefully made a small contribution. I, I, I do walk through London or, or see pictures of New York or Sydney or in, in lots of big cities in the world. And I see echo barriers there and I know that I, I, you know, I get quite a buzz out of thinking that I've actually helped make some people's lives a bit better. So you should. Peter, you've made this podcast that little bit better today. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and uh, our listeners are going to find this fascinating. Thank you so much. Thanks, Simon, and good luck with the dog. (laughs) Yeah, I need more than luck with that one. Take care. Take care. Cheers. Good luck with the dog indeed. You must be wondering what Peter's talking about, but um, regular listeners to the show will know that I have a, a little dashend called Romeo, and throughout my recording with Peter, my goodness, there couldn't be more rings at the doorbell and more barking going on in the background from Romeo, so that's what he's talking about in case you were wondering. 
it really was a pleasure for me to enjoy that chat with Peter. He's such a smart guy, you've got to admire his invention and his drive and his mission to help protect and improve workers on construction sites and to reduce noise in the neighbourhoods where building's taking place. And as I say, at the beginning of every episode, QuietMark is associated with the Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. And if you or someone you know is experiencing noise issues, the Noise Abatement Society operates a free national noise helpline to give support, advice and guidance to the public on noise issues. This is a vital conduit through which the society gauges and responds to current public concerns, providing valuable data to inform and lobby policymakers and from which all its campaigns are based. The number for that helpline is 01273 823 850. That's 01273 823 850. And you can also find out more information about the Noise Abatement Society when you go to quietmark.com, click on About on the top navigation menu, and you'll see a drop-down menu which says Our Heritage. And there you can find out details about our association with the Noise Abatement Society and how to get in touch with them should you need to. Thanks again to Peter Wilson for taking the time to chat with us on this episode of the Quiet Mark podcast, and also to David Lindsay, General Manager at Echo Barrier, for his help in setting it up. And as always, thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Please stay tuned for more episodes. We've got some amazing guests in the pipeline and we're always grateful to you for taking the time to join us. Take care and bye for now.